Hey everybody, welcome to the second episode of Poetry in Motion Cowboy Podcast. Today the poem that we're going to talk about is, is one that I wrote, it's called This Ranch of Mine. and It's just a rancher kind of reflecting on some things, he's, he's thinking about the day ahead that he's that he's fixing to go into and, and so that's what we're going to talk about today we're going to talk about ranchers we're going to talk about cowboys and kind of what they do and who they are and why they do it so i always think it's a good idea when we can to have a working definition of, of what we're talking about merriam webster's dictionary defines a cowboy as one a person who tends cattle or horses especially a mounted cattle ranch hand or two a rodeo performer. Now, not all cowboys rodeo, and not all guys that rodeo are cowboys. We've seen this in the last couple years, especially personally, as we've gotten a chance to go and help with our friends at From Arena to the Cross Rodeo Bible Camps. I've gotten to go and, and speak at some of those. I've gotten to go and, and be the saddle bronc riding instructor at some of them. And what we do at those is, is we go and we teach rodeo events, but we use that as an opportunity to reach out and, and to share the gospel of Jesus with these kids. But in some of those kids, their whole desire is just to rodeo. They have no desire to ever go out on the ranch and brand calves or ship a set of yearlings or anything like that. So we came up with the top hand clinics. And what the top hand clinics is, is we go in and we teach horsemanship, we teach uh, stockmanship, stock handling, how to handle cattle. We teach ranch roping. We try to end every clinic with a branding where everybody gets to drag a calf to the fire. Everybody gets to work the ground. Everybody gets to do all of the, the ranch stuff. And then we use that as an opportunity to get to witness to them and, and to share with them. But there's kids that come to the top hand clinics that have no desire to rodeo, and, and there's kids that come to rodeo bible camp that have no desire to ranch and and it's like that as they get older too there's definitely some cowboys that are super handy they're really good horsemen they rope really well they just have no desire to rodeo and then there's guys on the other side of it especially bull riders bull riders are the worst that they're good athletes they can really ride bulls but if you stick them on a horse out in the middle of a pasture somewhere they look like a fish out of water and have no idea what they're doing and that's not always the case there's definitely some some really good cowboys that rodeo and, and can do both, but there is a difference in the two, in, in cowboys, ranch cowboys, and rodeo athletes. So today we want to talk about the ranch cowboys, and we'll get around to talking about rodeo cowboys some more later. It's hard for me not to talk about rodeo because I love it. I did ride broncs for a while. I fought bulls for a while. Um, I even got on a handful of bulls. My grandpa taught me to team rope when I was really little. I don't tell very many people that because I don't want them to think I'm a roper. But I do love rodeo. But for today, we're going to talk about ranch cowboys. Now, even within ranch cowboys, we got to kind of distinguish here, too, between the rancher and the cowboy. The rancher is the one that owns the place. He's the one making the decisions. He's the one taking all the financial risk. The cowboy is the one who is working for wages. Now, most ranchers are cowboys, but the rancher for our conversation today is going to be the owner. He's going to be the one taking the financial risk, and the cowboy is the one who's just working for wages. Now, there's some guys that they are perfectly content their whole life 
just to work for wages, to work for somebody else, to take care of somebody else's cattle. And they do a really good job of it. They take pride in the job they do. They treat it just like it was their own. But they're content just to stay there working for somebody else. But most cowboys that I know, most people that I know, want to own something. They want that pride of ownership. Even if it's just a few acres and a handful of cows, they want something that's theirs. I know for me, I've got two kids now, and I've got a wife. I want to build something. I want to acquire something, build it with my own hands, put it together, that then I'm going to be able to pass down to my children. And I think a lot of people fall into that same category. Getting into ranching, though, can be a daunting task. Most of the big ranches in the country today have been passed down through generations, or they've been bought up by big conglomerates. People have come together through investors and stuff to buy the ranch, and, and they're not cowboys at all. That's why they're having to pay cowboys to run things for them. But it, it can be scary. It can be very hard to break in to ranching. In 2020, the average ranch size in the U.S. was 440 acres. 440 acres. Obviously, there was some that was larger and there was some that was smaller. But 440 acres is a pretty good chunk of ground just to go out and try to buy. I don't know if you've priced land recently, but just to go out and try to buy 440 acres is a pretty big investment. But even at 440 acres, even though that's the average size, it's still small in comparison to some of the bigger ranches in the country. The Wagner Ranch down here in Texas is over 500,000 acres somewhere between 530 and 560,000 acres. Now, they've got oil and they've got cattle and they've got some other stuff, but that is still a huge, huge chunk of ground. Now, the average land price per acre in rural Texas in that same time period in 2020 was $2,900 an acre. Now, obviously, the Wagner Ranch, being as big as it is, some of the land there is going to be inferior so it'd probably be less than the two thousand nine hundred dollars but it gives us a pretty good estimate for uh for a ranch the land price in this part of texas is usually going to be about two thousand nine hundred dollars an acre i'm not good at math and i'm not going to blow up my calculator trying to figure it out but whatever two thousand nine hundred is times five hundred thousand is a huge astronomical number that I cannot wrap my mind around. Then, on top of that, on top of just land price going out and trying to buy something, the Wagner Ranch also runs 10,000 head of mama cows. 10,000 head of mama cows. The August 11th market report from Oklahoma City, I went back and, and checked on it. Young pairs, so young cows, five years old and younger with a calf already on their side, cost $1,100. Then young bred cows cost $875 to $1,050. Now, the guy that was selling those cows probably thought that that was way too cheap, and he's probably right. The guy selling them thought they were too cheap, but the guy buying them, think about this. He's paying $2,900 an acre for land. Depending on what the stocking capacity is um, in the land that he buys, He's going to be looking at running one cow to every three acres to five acres. Some places it's, it's bigger than that. Some places you're looking at 10 acres to a cow or even 100 acres to a cow. 
Now, if it's going to take you 100 acres to run one cow, the land probably doesn't cost 2900 an acre. It's definitely going to be some cheaper land. But even if the guy has to buy five acres to run one cow, he's at almost $10,000 before he ever buys the cow. Then you stick another 1000 on that for the cow. He's at $11,000 just to buy enough ground to stick the cow on and to stick her out there. Then on top of the price of land and the price of cattle, you got to feed them things. The price of feed is going up. A new pickup to get you around the ranch to put out hay, to haul them cattle back and forth to the sale barn, whatever you need to do. Pickups are ridiculous now. I, I don't see how anybody can afford to go out and buy a new pickup. Then you've got equipment. If you need a tractor, if you need an auger, grain bins, whatever it might be, you got equipment. Then you got medicine. Even if your cattle were healthy, even if you don't have a big vet bill for that year, you've still got vaccinations, you got dewormer, you got to keep mineral out for them cattle. All of that adds together to make it a very, very hard career for someone to break into. But there are people every day that are still working towards it, striving towards that end and that goal. So once a person has saved up enough, they've traded enough, they've borrowed enough, however they've accumulated it, they finally get enough to get started, it doesn't get any easier. There's a very common, very common misconception that you just take a set of cows, kick them out in the pasture, all they do is eat grass and gain weight, then you go out there, you steal all the calves off of them, take the calves to the sale barn, and you get rich and famous. That is not the way that it works. The best way that I have heard ranching described is that you are selling grass. And the context of this conversation was two guys arguing about raising cattle versus raising sheep. Now, most cowboys, just because of their pride and their ego and tradition, will not lower themselves to raising sheep. But the guy in this story who was raising sheep had put a pencil to it, he'd figured out all the numbers, and he had figured out that he could make more profit per acre by running sheep than running cattle. But it doesn't matter what your operation looks like. It doesn't matter if you're selling hay. It doesn't matter if you're raising cattle, raising sheep. If you're custom grazing cows where somebody else owns a set of mama cows, they send them to you, you run them on your grass, and they pay you for it. Run the set of yearlings where you go buy weaned calves at a certain size, you run them for a duration of time and then try to sell them for a profit. doesn't matter what your operation looks like. It all boils down to you have X amount of grass and you are trying to sell that grass for the most money possible. A person has to be a good steward of grass. They have to figure out how to stretch that grass and make it last longer, how to utilize it, how to improve it so that it can make them more money. I've seen guys who are are masters at taking a piece of ground that has no grass hardly at all on it and through the way they feed their cattle where they feed them how they move the cattle around when they have cattle on it when they take cattle off that within just a matter of years that's really good pasture with a lot of nutrient dense grass on it rotational grazing is is huge taking cattle feeding them in a certain area for a while and then moving them to a different pasture. But whatever it takes, whatever you have to do, you have to be able to stretch, utilize, improve, maximize your grass. A cowboy first and foremost has to be a good steward of the land 
and good at managing his grass. Now, once you get the land bought, you get the cattle turned out there, you've figured out the best way to utilize your grass where it can be profitable, then it is inevitable that cattle are going to get sick. It doesn't matter how good your nutrient program is, your mineral program, doesn't matter how well you vaccinate, doesn't matter. Stuff is going to get sick. And so on top of a cowboy being a good steward of grass, most cowboys are as good as a veterinarian at diagnosing illness. If you're running cattle, it is inevitable. You're going to deal with pink eye, foot rot, pneumonia, scours, mastitis, the list goes on and on. But good cowboys get to where they can see it in those cattle before it has a chance to progress and get bad. While they're still in the early stages, these guys can notice it and they know what medicine to give and how to administer it to get that taken care of as quickly as possible. And I'll be honest with you, doctoring cattle for the rancher is stressful because he's got cattle that are not gaining weight because they're sick. He's spending money having to doctor them. But for the cowboy, doctoring foot rot and pink eyes is one of the funnest things that you get to do because there's your chance to get out, take your horse, and go rope and doctor some stuff. But if you are a horseback cowboy, not only are you doctoring on cattle, you have horses. And horses just look for unique and creative ways to injure themselves. All the time dealing with horses wanting to colic, horses getting cut up, bowed tendons, inflamed tendons, horses foundering, EPM, all of these things are going on that a cowboy has got to know how to take care of. And a lot of times, a vet is not handy. For where I live, we're about 45 minutes to a good horse vet. And so we can get there if we need to. It's not that big of a deal. But if you're a camp cowboy living out on the middle of the Wagner Ranch, you're out in the middle of 500,000 acres, you can't just load up your horse and run him to the vet real quick. You got to know how to doctor these things on your own. And one of the cool things about it is as technology improves and as medicine improves, we're getting new things, but you also see a lot of old traditional type medicine things passed down from generation to generation. So that's a lot of fun there in, in doctoring things. But one of the sad things, one of the hard things about doctoring cattle and doctoring horses is that no matter what you can't save them all one of the hardest parts about being a rancher or about being a cowboy is that no matter what you cannot save them all not only are you investing your time and your money into these things where you're if if i put x amount of dollars worth of medicine into a calf and he dies i've lost not only the the price that he would have brought later when I sold him but I've also lost the price of the medicine that I put into him but it's not just the time and the money that you put in we've had bottle calves from time to time and I hate bottle calves just for the record but when you hold one of them little sickly things in your arms and you're you're sticking a bottle down him or he's living in the house because it, there's a snowstorm going on outside or whatever the case may be you're putting your heart into it and with the horses, I feel like even more than the cattle, when you're doctoring on a horse, there's a connection there. And you are putting your emotion and, and your heart into what's going on. So if they don't make it, which death is, is just part of the deal, 
there's a, a season for birth and, and there's a season for dying. But, um, man, it's it's hard. It's heartbreaking to sit there and lose one. And another thing about it is that most ranchers and most cowboys, they've got their kids with them. And that's part of the lure of the lifestyle is that your kids get to go with you. But your kids got to learn at a, an early age that death is just just part of the deal. My daughter had a bottle calf and, and again, I hate bottle calves, but we had raised him up and, and he was doing good and he kind of got stressed out one day and then he just fell. Like his his health just plummeted and we doctored on him. We did what we could, and but we lost him and, and he died. And my daughter had been the one bottle feeding him. She'd been the one taking care of him. And so she had to just swallow that and she had to take it. And she was five years old at the time. She had to grow up and, and get to where she kind of knew the facts of life and knew that, that death comes. And then we had some broodmares and um, had one colt. He was he was healthy. He When he was born, he was up. He was growing. Things were doing good. And we were actually getting pretty close to sending in his papers to the Quarter Horse Association. We were actually going to name him after my daughter. And then... He just gets down one day, and we tried for probably two weeks doctoring on this thing. We would get him up. We would do everything we could. Um, come to find out, he had spinal meningitis. There was nothing we could do about it. It was a freak deal, and this colt that we had had our hands on, we played with, we'd haltered him, we'd brushed him, we'd been there when he was born, all this stuff, all this hope that we had for him, everything, um, we just had to watch it go because he passed away, he didn't, he didn't make it. And it's hard. It is hard to put your heart into something like that and, and to just get it wrenched out from underneath of you. But when things do go good, when, when things are getting better, you finally get a set of healthy calves, you've managed your grass good, you've got the cows bought, um, you get the calves raised up, they're ready to wean, you wean them off, take them to sell, and when you go to sell, you're at the mercy of the market. The last two years have been crazy for cattle producers, for, for ranchers. Just a short overview of it. The meat packers are the ones who set the price of cattle. It doesn't matter who is actually sitting in the sale barn. It's all trickle down from the meat packers. There's only four primary meat packers in the U.S. They've got a pretty good monopoly of, of what they are willing to pay for things. You don't have anywhere that you can go outside of them, so you just have to take whatever price it is they're willing to pay. Wholesale beef, like you see in, in Walmart or somewhere, has skyrocketed. It has gone up, but instead of that profit trickling down to the producers, it's actually been the opposite. Most producers have been seeing less, while the meat packers have been seeing more. And like I said, they've, they've got a monopoly over it, so you can't go outside of them. So you're just at the mercy of what somebody else is willing to pay you. That same market report from August 11th at Oklahoma City, 550-pound wean steers brought $1.75 a pound. So that put them at around $1,000 a head. I think that's probably a pretty good price. Um, whoever sold those calves was probably pretty happy with it. And that's about $1,000 a head. I think there was 63 head in, in that load. Um, that sounds pretty good until you remember that that steer's mama cost $1,100. You fed her for nine months before the calf was ever born. 
cow's gestation's 283 days or, or somewhere in there. So you, you fed her for nine months before the calf was even born. If you wean the calf at six months, now you fed the cow for another six months. You fed hay and protein all winter just to keep them alive. You've kept mineral out for them year-round. Whatever your vaccination program was, you vaccinated them. You've dewormed them. The diesel to put in your truck and your tractor to get you around the place to get feed put out was $3 a gallon. You've still got a note with the bank on the land that costs you $2,900 an acre. You've still got a note with the bank on the cows because you had to borrow money to buy them. That $1,000 a head for that steer goes really, really fast. And that's just that's just on him trying to break even. If this is a rancher that's, that's trying to raise a family and support them on this, all of those other expenses are before he ever buys braces for his little girl or, or buys a set of cleats for his kid to play football or, or puts food on the table or pays a house payment, any of that stuff. But even if, just say, this was a really good year, it was a really good grass year. You didn't have to supplement a whole lot. Your calves were healthy. Weather was favorable. They weaned off high. Brought a good price. Even if you made a profit this year, one of the hardest things about ranching is that you can't bank on that happening again. Because next year or even next week, the bottom could fall out of it. You've got to be super thankful in the years that things are good and the years that you do make a profit. Because there's no promise that next year is going to be that good. Now, one of the perks for most cowboys is that they get to work cattle horseback. There's a lot of guys that probably wouldn't be cowboys at all if they didn't get to ride a horse. Now, there is some people that have gone to four-wheelers and ATVs and all of that kind of stuff. But most cowboys prefer working cattle horseback. There's a guy down here he hired me to come day work one day me and one of my friends so me and gavin go over there and hey, we go out we of course we brought our colts um no better place than to put miles on on a colt than out there day working but we take these colts and we take off and, and we ride out to where the cattle are at he goes out there with the feed truck and hits the siren and all the cattle just fall in behind him so we just get behind the cattle on our horses don't end up having to do nothing. Don't even get to ride our horses hard enough to get a sweat on them. They're still trying to buck us off and act like idiots by the time we get to the pins. Then we get up to the pins and we think, all right, here we go. Finally, going to get to ride our horses a little bit. Going to sort some cattle off. Going to do whatever. And he asked us to get off our horses and tie them up because in the pins, he liked to work everything on foot. That was one of the most miserable days of my life and I have yet to go back and day work for him again. I love him. He's a great guy. But if I got to be on foot in them knee deep black dirt mud pens with a set of high headed tiger strap cows ever again, it will be too soon. I'm not going back over there if I can't ride my horse. That's just a side note. But most cowboys prefer to work cattle horseback. Horse prices have gone up. Cattle prices have been a um, little sketchy lately, but horse prices have been through the roof. Um, they've just been off the charts, and that's helped a lot of cowboys. It's helped a lot of cowboys because people are starting to understand and appreciate the value of a good broke ranch horse. For so long, the only horse that people would pay money for 
was a finished rope horse or a rein or a cutter or a barrel horse or something like that. But people are starting to understand that a ranch horse can, can go and do all those things, but he's also broke. He's seen the miles. He's had calves running underneath him. He's had ropes up under his tail. He's been rode in the rain. He's crossed creeks. He's been a million miles. And so people are starting to appreciate a good broke ranch horse. And so the price of them has gone way up. And that's helped a lot of cowboys make ends meet where the cattle didn't pay all the bills, but they could sell a good ranch horse or two every year. The problem with that has been that Say you sell one for a bunch of money, now I've got to go and replace him. When I go to find a, another gilding to replace him with, I go to find a young horse that I can start and get going and I can build into a ranch horse. One that might have cost me $500 five years ago cost 2000 now. So it's a catch-22 where, yeah, it's great that I can go and sell horses for more money, but it's also costing me more money to reinvest. The question that comes, that rises out of all of this is why? Why would anybody want to subject themselves to this? You're going broke. You're dealing with heartache when a horse gets crippled or another calf dies. Your future's in the hands of the packers who are setting the market. You're working seven days a week, usually from sunup till sundown. In the heat, in the snow, we had a huge snowstorm in northeast texas this last winter it was ridiculous i was working for a ranch i was helping feed and, and we were running some yearlings and stuff um i mean it was it was crazy seeing cattle standing out there with ice hanging off of them uh when the roads got too bad i wasn't even able to make it over there but the guy that owned the ranch he was out there in the middle of that every day watching cattle literally literally freeze to death and not only the heartache of watching them freeze to death but his pocketbook getting hit every time it did. Why would anybody do that to themselves? It's a hard question to answer unless you've ever done it. But have you ever rode a horse when it's kind of foggy out in the morning or, or the mist is on and it's a cool morning and you go out and you're looking out over a set of cows and they got baby calves on their side Everything is perfect in the world. You're not dealing with any rat race. There, there's no traffic jams in town. There's no sirens. There's no lights. There's no anything. It is so peaceful. And it's just, it's earth as close to the way God created it as, as I think we can ever get back to. And the feeling of joy and, and happiness and peace that comes over your heart in those moments is indescribable and it's and it's worth more than money talk about the pride of, of ownership of something when you watch your brand so me and my wife we've we've got our brand and it's registered and, and it's just an R with kind of a straight leg coming off of it but all of our horses have our brand on their left shoulder and then our cattle have our brand up on the up high on their left rib cage when you stick that brand on something and it's yours and you take pride in it these horses that we're making we try not to brand one and sell it unless it's a super good one unless it's the real deal and years down the road from now when that horse is out doing big things and and somebody's so happy with it there's a pride that comes in seeing our brand on that horse 
or when it's our set of calves and, and we know we know how much it took for us to be able to afford that $2,900 an acre land. And we know what it took for us to get the loan to buy those cows and how much work we've put into them. And this is the final product. This is what makes it all worthwhile to see that brand go on them. Then on top of that, there's very few jobs in the world where you get to take your wife and kids with you. I'll, I'll never forget one of the funnest things that happened to us. We bought a place in Oklahoma, a small place. We bought a little set of cows. They were they were crazy. Um, the very first day that we owned the cows, um, we bought them on a Saturday. Sunday morning we leave. We're going to church. As we're driving down the road going to church, we had not checked cows that morning. So we're driving to church. We see one of our cows standing in the neighbor's pens. Um, she had already tore through the fence and gotten out. Luckily our neighbor had pinned her for us. But we go back and it's a, a few weeks later. Cows are supposed to be settling down. We had gathered everything. We, I don't even remember what we were doing. If we were bringing them in to, to worm them or, or what we were doing. But we'd gone to gather cows and this one black cow had decided that she wasn't going to come in. So we go out there. Me and my wife are both horseback. And I get this cow roped. And it's not terribly far back to the pens and, and so I told my wife I said you just rope her too and then we'll both have ropes on her we'll just tow her back to the pens or one of us can drive her and one of us can lead her however we get two ropes on her we can get her back to the pens if you've never tried to rope a cow that's already got a rope on it it is really hard because you can throw a great loop and instead of settling around that cow's head it will bounce off the other person's rope and not go on so my wife says instead of Instead of me trying to rope her, you've already got her roped. Why don't you just hand me your rope, and then you can rope her again? In hindsight, this was not the greatest idea we could have had. But if you are married, most generally when your wife tells you to do something, you just go ahead and do it. Because it's easier to fight the cow than it is to fight your wife. So, I hand my wife the rope. About the time that I undally and hand my wife the rope, said cow comes running up the rope and proceeds to hook my wife and her horse. Then the cow turns and breaks and runs, and my wife does not manage to get a dally and get it shut down again before the cow gets loose. So now the cow is running around in the pasture, free and wild again, dragging my rope. My wife lopes her horse back up to the barn, gets the truck and trailer, and comes out there, and we're going to try to catch this cow now and load her in the trailer. I rope the cow again. So now I have her roped. She is tied to my saddle horn. And there's another rope laying on the ground. In order for us to drag the cow in the trailer, the rope that's laying on the ground is going to have to be run up through the slats in the trailer and then handed back to me so I can pull her in. My wife gets out of the truck and begins to walk towards the cow. She asks me in full confidence, if I had the cow. I told her, yes, I have her. And I started to say, but. But before I could say, but, my wife had already beelined it towards the cow. Now, what I had intended to say was, yes, I have her, but I got a very shaky grasp of geometry, and I'm not certain at the end of this rope how much distance this cow can cover left and right. I know that it's going to make an arc, but when you start talking circumferences and, and radiuses and diameters and things like that, 
I get a little bit lost, so I'm not sure how close you can actually get to her and still be safe. My wife, ever the scientific one, finds this out by herself as she gets too close to the cow. I have turned and ridden away as fast as I can trying to drag the cow away from my wife. My wife has now become an Olympic sprinter, turning and running away from the cow as fast as she can while I'm riding the opposite direction trying to take the slack out of it. And then she dives, my wife, not the cow, my wife dives from probably six foot away and slides underneath the neck of the trailer as I finally get everything tight and get the cow picked up and pulled off of her and saved her life. You don't get experiences like that working in town. You don't get to save your wife from a cow, even if it was your own fault that she was in danger. You don't get opportunities like that when you are working in town. Also, you don't get to be your own boss when you're working in town. Cowboys love being their own boss. Like that whole story right there, that was probably a bad decision that I made. There was probably better ways to go about it. But I did not have a boss breathing down my neck telling me that there was better ways to go about it. It was my place, it was my decision to make, and that brought freedom. Cowboys love freedom. So, it's hard to describe the lure of being a cowboy. But I think freedom goes a long way in it. Freedom, fresh air, getting to be outside. Yeah, we're probably going to gripe when it's been in the hundreds here this week. Um, back this winter, there were parts of the country that had unprecedented snow and, and cold. And they were still having to be out in it. The cowboys, the ranchers were still having to be out in it and take care of stuff. But there's a handful of days in the spring and a handful of days in the fall when it's so beautiful and so perfect to be outside that it kind of makes it worthwhile. You get to be with your family. I don't have to leave my family to go to work. When it's time to go to work, I gather them up and take them with me. We've got an old Gildan, 20-some years old. My boys, too. I throw him up on, on him. and My daughter's got a, a six-year-old mare. I throw her up on that one. My wife gets on another Gildan that we've got, and I get on whatever colt we got standing around there. I don't have to leave my family to go to work. I take my family to work with me. And there's, there's tradition. Ever since this country's been a country, there's been people punching cows. My dad raised cattle. My grandpa raised cattle. My mom's side of the family was all horsemen. And the tradition of it, keeping that alive. There's ways of handling cattle and taking care of cattle horseback that are slowly dying for different reasons. And the tradition of getting to keep that alive is, is super important to us. But we know that it's a lot of work, but it's also a lot of blessing. A piece of scripture from the Bible in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, it says, To whom much is given, much is expected. And so most cowboys don't mind being a lot expected of them. They don't mind the work. They don't mind the hardship because they understand the blessing. They understand how much they've been given and that to whom much is given, much is expected. But for me, one of the main reasons to be a cowboy is getting to ride good horses. I love taking care of cattle. I love working on the ranch. But the horses is the deal for me. And I think it is with a lot of people. 
So this poem that I want to share with you guys today, it's called This Ranch of Mine. And it's about a horse we call Uno. It's the mare that my daughter rides. I've got a lot of poems about her just because she's been around. She's been such a big part of our life. But at the time that we bought Uno, we were training racehorses. And so we had gone and, and bought this thoroughbred mare. Uh, her name was Serena's Fist Fight. And we bought Serena's Fist Fight with this four-day-old filly on her side. And, and as she got older, we ended up selling the mare, but, but we kept Uno. The little baby that was on her side was Uno. And Uno grew up, and before we had a chance to get her broken and get her on the racetrack, we ended up getting out of the racehorse deal. So she turns two, and, and we're just sitting here with this thoroughbred filly that is not going to go to the racetrack and trying to figure out what we're going to do with her. So I just started riding her and started using her. And it, it was amazing how gentle she became, how good of a ranch horse she was. When she was a little baby, she was wild. She did not like people. And my wife just decided that whatever it took, Uno was going to get gentle. She spent so much time out there just messing with her and, and petting her and, and just being around her. And now Uno's like a big puppy dog. She's a great ranch horse. She can really run to cattle. She's cowy, um, got a lot of cow sense. She knows what a cow's going to do before the cow does. Um, but she also packs my daughter around running barrels and, and doing stuff like that. So anyway, we we love her. She's a great horse. And, and this poem is a true story uh, to some extent about me just standing out there in the barn talking to Uno. So I want to share this poem with you guys. It's called This Ranch of Mine. The bay filly cut her leg, then it rained for days on end. So I put her up in a stall out of the mud to mend. I finished up doctoring her leg. Good half hour went by, till I realized I was still in her stall just talking. Didn't know why. Her hay was going untouched as I scratched up under her mane. For the longest time we stood there, talking, listening to it rain. She's been around here for three years now, since she was four days old. She's seen the other horses come and go, the ones I've bought and sold. But somehow she understands me, just like an old friend would. She listens patiently as I ramble. Just her presence does my heart good. Calves fell off 20 cents in two weeks, and the place payments come and do. Sold one of the colts last week, but it's not enough to get us through. This ragtag group of heifers we worked so hard to put together... Looking at them makes me feel kind of like this weather. Because it's cold and dark and rainy. And the heifers I'd hoped to breed are going to end up at a sale somewhere to meet our financial need. One bottle calf died. One cow's getting thin and now you cut your leg. I'd plead for help and mercy, but I don't know who to beg. The sage grass took over the pasture. The black horse has EPM. He used to be top of the line. Now it hurts me to look at him. The cost of living's on the rise and grain prices keep going up. We have too many mouths to feed and my daughter wants a new pup. I know self-pity is worthless and I shouldn't be throwing a fit. I do love the life I lead. I'm in too far to quit. I wish cattle were high and horses were too. If they were worth anything, I'd sell one or two. But selling the cows wouldn't pay off the truck. So I'll just keep ranching and praying for luck. The filly doesn't say anything. She's heard it all before. She just rolls her big brown eye my way as I head out the stall door. 
She knows sometimes I need to vent. But when the morning sun begins to shine, I'll be out here to bring her her hay and take care of this ranch of mine. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. Be sure to tune back in for the next episode. And until then, remember, I love you guys. Jesus loves you more.